And now, join Kevin Hart as he dives into the minds of some of your favorite celebrities. This is Gold Mines with Kevin Hart. What up, world? You already know what it is. It's another episode of Gold Mines, and I don't have to tell you what we do here because I know you know. I know you know because I tell you all the time. God damn it, this is a podcast where we give gems. We give gems because gems are what's important. Information, tools, ammunition. You need it for an upswing in your life. And I feel like this is a podcast where you get to hear so many because we talk to so many amazing minds. Man, today's show would be no different. Holy cow. My guest today, man, I got to be honest with you. I got to say not only am I a fan. I'm a little, I'm a little, uh. I'm a little, I'm a little blundered as to just why I've not worked with the brother yet. This is one of those uh, pieces of talent that are in the business um, that I'm desperately waiting for the opportunity to share a screen with, whether it's the big screen or the small screen. But talent is not just a good description; um, it's a needed and necessary description. Guys, you may know my man uh, from movies like The Heart of They Fall, Get Out. Um, I mean, Judas and the Black Messiah is just to name a few. Um, Talented as fuck. Guys, please welcome Lakeith Stanfield to the show. Brother, look at that. See what I'm saying with my introduction? Huh? See what I'm saying? Oh, I love it, man. I love it. It's, it's quite flattering. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Lakeith, I meant it when I said, you know, um, a talent that I've yet to work with, man. You know, I, I think that the opportunity has not presented itself, but I want you to know um, in real time and face value that when the opportunity does, man, it's something I'd be excited about. I've been a fan. I've watched your progression. Um, you know, I've watched your star rise, man. And it's not a screen that you have been on where you have not made the most out of. The diversity of choice in the roles, man. Um, you know, you're, it's so like, it's so beautifully scattered uh, and such a great display, you know, just from, from the series, from the roles with, uh, you know, a tone of, a tone of personality that can be attached to comedy and, you know, the straightforward moments where, you know, you've been able to take on that, uh, I don't want to call it a killer because in, in the, uh, in the heart of they fall, it was killerist, but it was done in such a classy way, right? It was, it was done in a way with the personality, almost like tombstone, when you had uh, Doc and you had Waddle, are you familiar with Tombstone? No, no, I've never seen. You know, Tombstone is a western that you gotta watch. It's a guy named mm-hmm. Doc Holliday, and Doc Holliday was responsible for being like the fastest shot in the West. He was just a bad boy with his gun, but he was sick. You know, he was suffering from tuberculosis uh, throughout the whole movie. So while being this cool, poised gunman, those closest to him knew what he was really battling with, but the opposers never knew. And later on in the movie, he ended up being somebody that went down. But the similarity in character in Heart of They Fall was your guy and that cocky, you know, that good guy that was quick with the gun and knew what he could do. Um, and that was highly respected. Ultimately, only to go to a point, you know, where demise was in his future. But to get there, there was a buildup of love and and like admiration from fans to the character. So that's how dope. That's how closely I've watched you work. Um, my first question for you, man, is is where are you from? This is Gold Mines, hosted by Kevin Hart. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Meet the next generation of podcast stars with Sirius XM's Listen Next program, presented by State Farm. As part of their mission to help voices be heard, State Farm teamed up with Sirius XM to uplift diverse and emerging creators. Tune in to Stars and Stars with Isa as host Isa Nakazawa dives into birth charts of her celeb guests. This is just the start of a new wave of podcasting. Visit statefarm.com to find out how we can help prepare for your future. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Now more from Kevin Hart on Gold Mines. Um, I must lead with uh, admiration as well. Uh, I got to say, man, um, not only have I been an avid fan of your career since Soul Plane, which me and my family, we watched that way back in the day before anything was a prospect for me. And we laughed. And um, I knew from that moment that you were a special talent that I wanted to continue to watch. And I've been blessed you not only on the screen but as a businessman um you're just a, a giant enterprise and i'm really uh honored to have this moment with you so thank you um and thank you so much for the kind words um i you know i i feel like the approach to roles is not dissimilar to kind of how we approach life which is we tend to want to show people the sides of us that we want them to know and see so i always try to keep that in mind when i'm playing characters and that they're always multi the faceted layers to people. You get the version you see, you get the, uh, you know, you get a, a couple layers underneath that. And then there's the real person down there. Even someone who's done really tragic things or been through really tragic things. Very rarely do we show all of our cards. So it's all about just being careful about timing, tone, and what we're willing to show at the story contingent upon what's necessary to achieve what we're trying to achieve, which is to communicate something to the audience. So what is that that we're communicating? In a role like the one that I played in The Heart of They Fall, um, we're communicating about a man who can do dangerous things, but that is spiritual and doesn't want to, which I Mm -hmm. find personally a little bit more dangerous. If you come out yelling and screaming and telling me what you're going to do, I have no fear. I'm like, I I already know where you're coming from. You're trying to huff and puff and get somebody to believe something. But it's the cool, calm and collected nature of someone that can be calculated and strike like a snake that I find much more interesting. And so... I've always had a love for Cowboys coming from the West. San Bernardino is where I'm from, which is, you know, right near uh, L.A. It's like an hour 30 uh, L.A. So I'm from the West Coast. I love Tupac. You know, I love all things West Coast. Um, And so (laughs) Cowboys were really interesting to me because I knew I knew that they were black Cowboys. But when I was growing up, I didn't really ever see them. But in my family, you know, my family's from Louisiana, but they love to go to the rodeo. So we went to the black rodeo when I was growing up. And I just remember the smell of of uh of horse poop and, and when I, <laughs> you can cuss horse shit you call it what it is horse shit yeah, <laughs> yeah. and i just remember seeing all these black dudes in boots and and they're, and they're on and they're on the horses and they're riding bulls i'm like damn i want to 
I want to do that one day. So when this role came to me through James Samuel, who's an amazing filmmaker, who always places black people at the center of places and spaces where we're always discounted and are often not shown, especially in cinema and TV. So I wanted to change that. I wanted to be a part of that narrative. And so when this came to me, I was like, oh, absolutely. Who I got to play? And they wanted me initially to play, um, I forget the name of him, but it was like a, a more a happier character, a positive character, which is fine. But, you know, so oftentimes I find more interesting the characters that are going through a tangible struggle because there we can explore, you know, the humans, what what humans will do to overcome those struggles. And I thought that was important in this character to try to show. So it was fun on many levels. I got to be black and a cowboy, but I got to also, you know, approach this like multi-layered smart character who was angry. And, you know, if you think about it, even today, in today's world, the world we live in, if you're not angry, something's wrong. So mm-hmm. I think the good guys often are also angry. So I didn't look at him as a bad guy. I looked at him as a good mm-hmm. guy, just mm-hmm. trying to get over his own internal struggle. If I approach him like a bad guy, same thing with Judas and the Black Messiah. It's like everybody like, yo, how you play that rat? And la, 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 la. When I first got the script, I thought I was going to play Chairman Fred Hampton. I was happy. I jumped off. I said, yo, Shaka, thank you, man. This is the dream role. This is what I've always wanted to play. Like, I love black people. I love us. And I want to be at the center stage of conversations that push us forward. Thank you. And he said, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> uh, I want you to play Bill. Bill O'Neill. What the fuck? I almost hung up the phone. I was, I was offended. I said, this, this yeah. nigga that did pop, 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 pop. And got him stuff like this, but... But then I then I thought about it and I was like, damn, what is the importance of playing a character like this that inspires that kind of feeling in me? And what kind of internal investigation can I go through to see what parts of me might be him? And the more mm-hmm. I looked into it, the more I realized that 90 percent of the world is Bill O'Neill and a small percentage of the world are Chairman Fred Hampton's. We all want to be Chairman Fred Hampton, but we all Bill O'Neill. So if I can humanize this character and make people feel connected to that, then maybe they'll see themselves in it. And perhaps the step forward is not to gawk at the person who we don't agree with, but to engage in, 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 a, in a survey of ourselves and see what in us is that so that we may change it. Because in order for you to change how, something, you got to see it. How did you get there? Like, where, where did the breakdown or, or the ability to break down or approach your roles with such depth? Like, what what's the background with you in acting? I mean, is there is there a school? Is there theater? Is there, you know, uh, training? Is this just a, a raw talent of discovery with opportunity? Like, talk to me about, you know, the the entry and the follow through. Because the way that you're speaking about the craft, man, it's it's so dope to hear you like really break down these roles. But how did you get there? Because I know it didn't just happen. It didn't just happen overnight. You know, one of the reasons why I'm easily attracted to performers like you, people on the stage, people who can take up space on the, on the stage is because it's always kind of been innate in me. My family was very religious. We grew up with really strict religious tenets. I was in the choir. I had to dance and sing the, tem- sing the Temptations with my auntie looking at me with that switch, like, boy, you better get them damn lyrics right. And I, I always felt a need to be performative. And I wanted to be in the center of the stage. I wanted to be a preacher at first. I wanted to be up on the stage. I wanted to talk to people. I wanted to communicate to people. And I was always dramatic. So I would put on my auntie's wigs and be dancing. And, you know, she'll catch me dancing. I'm like, oh, and she'd be like, it's okay, baby, go ahead, express yourself. So she gave me an open lane early on to be expressive in a way that wasn't really accepted by other people around us. 
you know, I had people in my family, that boy going to be gay, he ain't, nah, 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 which to them was a negative thing. And and at the mm-hmm. time, they used that as a thing to be like, that's negative. It's against God. And like all this performative stuff you're doing, it's like you the clown. You, you're not walking the straight path. You're moving outside the bounds. And for me, with my hard head, it just made me lean into that more. And so from a young age, I had one person, my auntie, who allowed me to be expressive in a way that made me realize through expression, I, act, I actually felt better. I actually felt seen in different ways when I could just play around with different ideas. And so I started doing that more. And my sort of dramaticness caused me to have an interest in philosophy and life and what this phenomenon is. And so, you know, in an early age, I was like reading Nietzsche and like Arthur Schopenhauer and all these like philosophers and gurus and just trying to understand what this whole phenomenon is. And so I think my approach to characters is influenced by my curiosity. I just want to know and I just want to excavate and and find out what is the meaning of why we're doing all this and why I'm doing what I'm doing. And so if I'm approaching a role, the question is, what am I doing here? And if if the answer to that question isn't something that feels like it edifies me, then I don't see a point in it. So I, so I guess I'm kind of digging deeper and excavating because I feel fulfilled by learning and uh, by by challenging preconceived notions and expanding my awareness a little bit. I love it. I love it. Now, when you say like, uh, of course, the challenge, right? Um, before acting, I think the biggest challenge is always finding a way to take care of yourself and in, in the, you know, the entrepreneurial side of acting or entertainment in general, because getting there is the struggle. The road to getting there is the struggle. So before here, what was the what was the choice of career? Um, well, I, uh, I remember when I was little, they had these, uh, these firefighters and officers come visit the school. And I remember seeing them and thinking, wow, man, that's cool. You know, they, they take care of people. They, they're good guys and they save the world. <laughs> and it wasn't until I realized that when you're poor, your interaction with law enforcement is a little bit different than other people's interaction. Mm-hmm. When you're poor and you're black, it's even more different. So when I told you mm-hmm. about the curiosity, I was also curious about rights. What are my yeah. rights? What do I deserve to have? How can I move around in the world? So I had a little bit of information about this, whereas people around me didn't necessarily, their curiosity wasn't peaked as much. So when the cops come, you know, fucking with us, which is, can I cuss on you? Yeah, you can. This is is gold mines, brother. Okay, cool. I don't think think there's a a more dominant cursor than Kevin Hart. Yeah, of course. There's nothing I can do without without cussing. You're good. You're good. So so where I live, they would would come regularly just fucking with us. And I'm not talking about wellness checks. I'm not talking about making sure things are good. Just blatantly fucking with us. And I would be the one to be like, wait a minute. You can't do that. Bam. You feel me? Wait a minute. You can't do that. Getting sprayed with shit. And so I realized, like, 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 damn, there's, there's there's an issue here with, like, the power structure. So I damn sure don't want to be that. Um, and, and so I kind of moved away from that in an early age when I was really little. Like I saw the way the police interacted with us and, and I developed a disdain toward them. And it wouldn't be till I was older till I started to realize the totality of things, that there are good and bad people in everything. Mm-hmm. But when I was younger, I kind of cast this whole thing against all kind of forms of authority. So I guess it kind of influenced, you know, a lot of the way that I would approach what I wanted to do in life. And so I did what I thought was the hard but meaningful thing, which was to be an artist and be, um, you know, not walk the the straight path of the this and the that, but be able to be explorative and expressive. That's what I thought it meant to be an artist until, of course, mm-hmm. I met the business side of things. And then I realized that it's actually 
much more than just like being expressive. And it causes for you to need to be literate and understand things and contract language and things like that. But at that time, I just wanted to stick it to the machine and do what I had to do. So I moved to L.A. and I was living in my car and I was like, one day I'm going to be a fucking actor and I don't care what I have to do. I'm going to do it. And so, you know, I just, I, you know, I started submitting myself to anything I could see, anything I could touch, submitting myself, any kind of Wi-Fi connection I can get. I'm in McDonald's. I'm everywhere I can go. Just trying to submit myself to stuff, washing up at the thing, going into the audition room. Boom, let's go. And uh, I wasn't afraid because I knew I was going to do something. I didn't know how, but something. I remember sitting in my little, I had like a 96 BMW, like this real old, car that I found at this thing for like, you know, a thousand dollars or something like that. And I'm sitting in this car and I still see the vision, the Echo Park, where I was living near that lake, just looking out, being like, I was sad because I was hungry. My stomach was growling. But then the other side of me was like, this is the last time you'll ever feel this way. You're going to make something happen. That is absolutely incredible. That is absolutely Incredible. And, you know, when I when I talk about the gems that come from these authentic conversation, that's what I'm referring to. You know, the the wherewithal to say, you know, what I'm going to sacrifice today because the rewards tomorrow are going to be so much better. Um, I'm fine with this moment of, of struggle, you know, living in my car and, and fucking just saying I got to do what I got to do. What, what was the timeline? How long do you think you went through that uh, before the first opportunity really presented itself? It was a good five years of, really? uh, yeah, yeah, struggling, just trying to get it, living living on couches, you know. Um, I remember this one person I lived with was this actor, and he spoke German. He was black, and I thought it was pretty cool. He spoke German. You know, I didn't come across a lot of people like that growing up, um, but he thought it was really cool. He would just be speaking German, just ran. We don't know what the fuck he's talking about, but he just wanted to speak it just because he could be like, I'm speaking it. And I'm an actor and you people, which it was like me and I had another friend. We on the couch. He like, y'all trying to be actors, but I'm an actor and I've even done this movie and he would be showing us his movies and stuff like that. And, you know, it was terrible. He was a terrible actor. And, I, and I'm just saying I got to be honest about it. Like it was it was really bad, but I would have to hold it in because I couldn't be laughing at it because I wouldn't try to get kicked off the damn couch. So he would play these things. And I'm sitting here like the hardest acting I've ever had to do was to not laugh. In these romantic scenes where he's like speaking, we just sitting there thinking it's the best thing in the world. And I'm just like, damn, you know, and but but, you know what? I actually I actually liked the guy. I just felt bad about the way he tried to make me small. And then, you know, years later, I would go to like book a couple things and then he he would email me years later and say, oh, yo, I see what you're doing, man. I love to connect and all. And I remember those moments when I was on that couch and I. And, you know, and you were telling me how it was never going to be nothing. And, you know, it was just really interesting when you started to achieve things, when you started to do things, people, their perspective changes so drastically. And now you become something valuable to them. So it always kind of reinforced in my mind just to stay focused and not be, really be doing things for other people's approval. Do the things that feel good to you, the things that feel right, stay the course. And no matter what, if you have faith and the works, you will manifest. One thousand percent, man. God damn, Keith. I had no idea. I had no idea, man. The five year period is a strong period too. Also shows your commitment. Uh your commitment to just understanding what you are good at. That's the that's the big piece of the puzzle that I want to highlight, right? Like to to say that I'm a double down and triple down on it is simply because I know what I'm capable of. And nobody else knows what I know because it's my know. It's my knowledge. I know. 
I know that I am destined to do this thing. And I know that there is no other option. Um, I'm also a product of all of my eggs being in the same basket. Right. I'm, I'm a product 1000% of this is what it's going to be. And if it ain't going to be this, then I don't know what it is. There was no plan B. I did not have a plan B. I did not have a plan C. There was no fallback. It's all of this or nothing. This is what I'm doing point blank. And I feel like when you have that and you put that energy into something, it's kind of hard to lose. It's kind of hard to lose. Yeah. And then you, you just get tired of, um, you get tired of failure that you feel like you are influencing, you know, for me in the audition sector, that was years of like going through auditions, which can be really intimidating. You go in a room, it's a lot of people, they all look like you and everybody going for the chicken, everybody trying to get the same thing. And so you, 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 you go through that. And then oftentimes I would get like a callback, which is where I would become nervous. Um, you know, sometimes in acting, I don't know if people realize this, but you'll, especially in commercial work, you'll sign a contract before you even book the role, which then Absolutely. tells you how much money you would be getting. So I'm seeing these numbers and, you know, it's like, damn, you know what I'm saying? It's only like $5,000, whatever the case is. But for me, that was like life-changing money. Life-changing. money. So it's life-changing. I would go into the room super nervous and that's how it always fail. I get callbacks and I fail every single callback. And so I got to a point where I just got tired of failing. I said, nah, this time I'm not scared. I don't care. I got nothing else to lose. I'm coming in here and I'm taking everything. So I went in there and I actually was like, I don't care if I fail this audition. I'm just going to do what I do. And then I walked away from the audition like, okay, that's another one anyway. What else we got on the docket? They called me. Boom, you got through. I was like, the one I didn't care about? And then I learned. Mm. Mm. The reason why you've been failing so much is because you were standing in your own way. By thinking too hard about something, by contriving the experience, by by trying to do all of these different things that you thought would get you to the place when it was already all there. All you had to do was relax and let it be. Ever since then, I started booking consistently. You know, this is a real moment of relate, relatable. This is a relatable moment. Uh, you know, I remember when I was doing like the the auditions and, you know, you're 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 doing them. You're doing them in like real time, right? Like you, you're packing them in from the commercials. Uh, this was heavy TV, like pilot season. And you're trying to yeah. go out, you're trying to book a pilot. And every single role that you went out for, man, you put this crazy pressure on yourself because you're like, this is the one. I got to get it. Mm-hmm. If I don't get this one, oh my God, this is the perfect part. It's the perfect role. This is the yep. perfect commercial. Oh, it's the perfect movie role. Everything was the best or the biggest. And, and you start you counting realize, what you do for your family. Like I could, my mom don't have to struggle no more. I could send her straight oh, to this. And I, and I could help my little sister go to school. She's trying to go to barber school. I could give her that money like that. You start thinking like, what can you do to change your circumstances? And I think that when you walk in a room is also with you the years of the struggling and how you might be able to change that. And sometimes you might lose sight of the focus and the focus is like under pressure, like Cherokee bill, you got to learn how to relax and make decisions, make smart decisions based on a relaxed state. So everybody has asked me like, when you're in a scene, what is one of the most important things? And to me, it's that you're relaxed. Even if the character is going through very difficult things, like in Judas and the black Messiah, I always go through these breathing techniques to relax myself, balance yourself, because from silence comes sound and from inaction comes action. 
And so it's kinetic energy. You got to learn how to gather that energy and move it. It's a wave. And so if you come into there all scattered and, and frenetic, then now we have no center focus piece from which to move. So it's always about gathering your focus. And I learned that from the hard moments, the hard turbulent moments. Like when you're in a plane and the turbulence is going and you're getting all like, you know, you, you think that you're changing something or that you're controlling something. But really, all you're doing is agitating yourself. This thing going down or it's getting where it needs to get. So the thing is to learn how to gather yourself, center yourself so that you may be focused in harder moments. And so learning that and realizing that that was something that I could have carried over from some of the more harder things I had to experience in my life, because I understood that in, in my life. Like, OK, something popping off. Boom, boom, boom. Well, first, we need to think everything needs to go in slow motion. And we think before we move. But for some reason, when it translated to my work, I got in my head. And I think a lot of that, too, had to do with my skin. And often feeling like I was outnumbered and I was in, in places and spaces where I didn't deserve to be. And I think I had to learn that you do deserve to be here. In fact, it's, it's more than you deserve to be here. You're here. You know what I'm saying? And so cherish that moment, appreciate that and know that you're worthy of being here and move from that. But you got to learn that. I, I, you're you're 1000 percent. You're going like you're like this is this is a moment where you're like. I can, I can, I can ground myself. I can ground myself in seeing, okay, the opportunities are going to come, but what I need to do is better prepare myself and position myself to take full advantage of them. I also got to make sure that I'm the best that I can possibly be when they do present themselves. So I remember when I started like auditioning and, you know, going back to what I was talking about, like there was, I wasn't getting them. It wasn't coming to return. And I immediately realized that it's not, them it's me i'm the i'm the problem here so what can i do to better prepare myself so i went out took a little bit of money i had i, I got like a little private guy that could help me prepare for auditions better make sure that i was breaking down the scene the best possible way approaching the scene doing things to be impactful be more aware and understanding of all around the scene to show that i was a guy that just understood everything that laid underneath the craft um, and basically just tried to separate myself from all others that was coming in for the same role. And even when I wasn't getting a role, I started to see a different level of attention. I started to get a different amount of return from the casting directors or from the agents and the feedback that we were getting. And I was feeling myself off of the feedback. The feedback was positive, so I felt like I was going in the right direction. And I knew then eventually what happened. And I also realized the roles that I wasn't getting, that doesn't mean that it's over it just mean that those roles those roles weren't for me those roles and those moments it wasn't for me the thing that will be for me will be mine you got to start to give yourself those testaments you got to start to talk to yourself and give yourself those daily doses what are they called what are they called when people um starts with an a affirmations there you go the the affirmations man affirmations are a key component to just any level of like progression in life making sure you feel that you can and everything that you're saying it aligns with that it aligns with the positive feeling of self and what Absolutely. self can do i love that i fucking yeah, love how, that yeah how do you talk to yourself it's very important it's like what is your internal dialogue like if, you know, you fail an audition or you fail at anything in life and you're like, well, you suck, man, you could have did better than that. Get your bitch ass up. To some extent, that might be valuable to you if that's what you're used to having. We got to understand that that's traumatic. People talking mm -hmm. to you like that. If you were to talk to your child like that, they develop an inner 
voice that says those same things. So for me, I had to change that because that's how I was brought up. You know, it was a very like corporal, like this, this, that. So I had to learn how to speak to myself. Like, no, nah, man, you good. Matter of fact, you more than good. Changing, alchemizing the fabric of my own perception to make it more useful and have it work for me. Like, what are the things that I can take out of this? You got to understand an audition, a, the scope of a production is very large. What one might be looking for or think that they're looking for or need. So many decisions are made that are outside of your control. The thing that is in your control, though, is how you show up, how you move, how you prepare. I never would let myself come into an audition room with the paper in my hand. I would have to know mm. the side, mm -hmm. like the back of my hand. I would come in with a plan, but understand that that plan must be flexible because I might have to move in different directions. There would be nobody in the room that I couldn't play with. You know, you go in the room, make sure you're, you know, set up that you're you're meeting everybody the right way, not doing too much, but just making sure that your confidence is known. Stepping in the room, and then we retreat into the silence. From there comes the momentum. And so it was it was a, t a technique that over five years, I mean, I had plenty of time to hone. I got to the point where I learned how to audition. Um, things take a learning curve. And I think patience and consistency is necessary, but also a little bit of good fortune. I happened to be born in San Bernardino, which is only an hour 30 north of L.A. I was in the market. There are a lot of things that kind of set up for, as you pointed out, the opportunity to present itself. So then it was just up for me to be ready for that opportunity and then take advantage of it. I, I love it, man. I really do. Within the space of acting, like I said earlier, you've done a lot, right? There's a lot of great roles underneath your belt. Um, give me an idea of what's next. What else are you looking to do at this point in your career? More Gold Mines with Kevin Hart after this. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. The Daily Show podcast has everything you need to stay on top of today's news and pop culture. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition, wherever you get your podcasts. Did you guys hear about that couple that went on vacation and one spouse murdered the other? In fact, the entire vacation was planned just so that they could make the murder look like an accident. Ah, so like a slaycation. Oh boy, sounds like a fun new true crime podcast to me. On every episode of Slaycation, we'll examine true cases of people who were killed while on vacation. Was it murder? <coughs> or just a horrible accident? <coughs> That's up to you and the law to decide. But either way, if you leave for your vacation in the plane and come home under the plane, you've definitely gone on a Slaycation. Join us every week for a fascinating new episode. 911, what's your emergency? But make sure to pack your body bags, because getting away can be murder. This is Slaycation. Start clean with Clorox, because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... 
I have a charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. Now back to Gold Mines with host Kevin Hart. I have just, you know, I uh, just did a movie called The Book of Clarence, which will uh, come out in January. January 20th. Yeah, I've seen a trailer and, uh, for that. Yeah, and mm-hmm. you know, seeing that film was the first time that I saw myself on film, and I was like, wow, I enjoyed that performance. I, I actually really enjoyed that movie. I'm quite critical on myself. That's just for reference, I mean, I didn't really even like Get Out at first. I didn't like Atlanta <laughs> at first. Yeah, there really? was a thing. I had a, I had a problem with everything. There was always something that I found <laughs> that I could nitpick and be like, this could have been a little bit better. So I was real critical. I came around to love those projects. But at first, I was like, nah, 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 fuck that. It's just the perfectionism. And I think this was the first time I watched a film and I was like, I have no notes. This really? is, I really had outdone myself. And I think the reason for that is the person that I played, Clarence, is a man who is trying to find a better life for himself. He's trying to make things better for his family. He's trying to uh, be successful, be somebody. Kind of like what we were talking about, you know, where I was sitting in that car, the things I wanted to achieve for myself and my family, things I want to do. I know that struggle of wanting to be somebody. It's set in the backdrop of, uh, of a time that we typically don't see ourselves in, which again is another plus for me. Black people in black places where they historically have insinuated that we haven't been there. Now nah, we're going to crush that. We not only were we there, we was cool. We were the same. There's not too many things that have changed. And so I want to kind of illustrate that there were people like us every day. And so I'm seated in this place where I want to win. I want to do better and I'll do any means. I'll go through anything in order to achieve and protect, achieve things, protect and feed my family. That's what I want to do. And so I identify with Clarence's struggle and, Clarence went through all of the highs of the fame, of the fortune, of the adoration, the lows of the the guilt that he felt for some of the things that he felt he had to compromise to get there. There were so many questions of who am I in this world? My belief, my faith, where does it lie? Is it even there? So many philosophical inquiries embedded in this character that it felt kismet for me to take on. When I finally did take it on, I would have no idea the profound effect it would have on me until I actually saw the film. When I saw it, I, I left that film feeling truly inspired that I had done something that is good for my career, but good for for what I want to share with the world, what I signed up to do this for, which, which was to to move things, to move people, to 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 ask more questions and uh, and to have fun. All of those things happened in this role. I want to continue to do work like that stuff that I can be proud of, things that I can walk away from and feel inspired by, things that show my people in a positive light if I can. You know, I, th- I feel like I'm riding on the backs of all the people in black cinema that have allowed for me to be here, the people that have had to do humiliating roles and do things that didn't feel good so I could be in a position to have choice. 
And I don't I don't never take that for granted. So when I'm in a position to be able to have a choice, I want to try to choose something that could push the dial forward, that can push black people into a better space. And you don't always get that. You know, sometimes we just entertain it and that's fine. But if you can entertain and say something, I mean, that's that's the dream. And so that's the, I feel like uh, absolutely. Yeah, you're 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 in a you're in the A plus A plus category if that's what you can achieve. You know what I mean? If you're if you can not only do the thing that you want and have a good time doing it, but also have some impact, uh, have a strong voice, and actually, you know, have that voice be attached to a meaningful moment or a meaningful um, a meaningful story where you know an audience is walking away with a different level of understanding based off of your performance. It's like that's that's the goal. That's the that's the yeah. ultimate goal, man. Be yourself in it. You know, there's so many times we didn't get to see ourselves in cinema. The the homie that lived right up the street, we didn't really get to see him represented. We had a few hood movies, which are always my you know my favorite movies, like Menace to Society, Boys in the Hood, that gave a, a glimpse to a side of life that really wasn't shown like that. And now we can infuse so many different influences in the way we live now. And, you know, it's because people struggle so much. We able to have the freedom of choice. And if you got that choice, you better choose. And that's kind of how I feel. And like, you know, I also don't feel limited. I don't feel limited in my ability to perform and choose roles. But I also don't feel limited in my uh, ability to express. And so music mm -hmm. is another thing that I'm looking to to be expressive. You know, I have a lot of things I want to say. And so I plan on releasing music next year and, you know, engaging in that communion with people. What what kind of music are we talking? Uh, hip hop? Are we talking uh, R and B? Are we talking? You know, what, what form? Tell me what you are. What, what space are you playing in? Sometimes I'll get in a booth, and I will have something that's been on my mind for a long time that I really want to talk about. Some thing that I probably should be talking with a therapist about first, about maybe my childhood traumas and traumas mm -hmm. in my family. I want to get that off my chest. But sometimes mm -hmm. I go in the studio and I just want to say I love you or I'm mad or whatever the case may be. I kind of just let things run through me. I go in the studio and I let the reality of whatever I'm experiencing run through me. So it takes many forms. I sing sometimes. I do spoken words sometimes. I rap sometimes. I just scream at the top of my lungs sometimes. Sometimes the shit don't even make sense. Sometimes it makes perfect sense. And I just do what I feel. And then once I do what I feel, I organize it into a way that feels like it sounds beautiful to me. And so okay. that's kind of what my process is now. On top of that, because of my, um, my experience in cinema, which is uh, groups of hundreds of people typically coming together to achieve something, a narrative. I incorporate narratives within my sound structure. So my albums are, you know, it, it's a sound. It's almost like a sound show. You put it on, you get zapped into the place and space that I'm in. I have sound design, I have scores, um, groups of people coming together to help achieve musical and sonic elements that make it feel immersive. And then within that world, you start to uh, blossom out into the music. And so it's kind of this unique thing that I have a lot of fun bringing together people to achieve, you know, bringing together like-minded individuals to kind of help, you know, some of my friends who are actors, and actresses, and, you know, comedians and singers, and I bring them on, on, uh, on board with me. And so it becomes just this like great creative kind of like, kind of like a, uh, like a, like church, you know, we all together and we're, and we're um, headed toward the central goal and it feels good to commune with people like that in the creative space. So, I have a lot of fun with it. Yeah, I was gonna say no. 
Well, the the biggest thing is having a having an outlet that you're feeding off of, but at the same time that you feel is another great version of yourself. And you're talking about music not just being an escape, it being in the love and different yeah. levels of music. So I mean, you, you that's that all goes into what you were talking about early on when you were just talking about the idea of an artist, right? You're that's you like really putting yourself in the conversation of truly defining the artist. Like I am a artist because it's not just this, it's this, 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 and this. And this is my form of expressive expression and expressive behavior that allows me to do it at the highest level. Um, I, I, I hope music becomes that for you as well. I would love to see the, the success of all surrounding you, man. I, I'm a person that loves to see people win. Um, and I like to see doors just kicked open for other people to go through. Like that's the dope thing about where we are. Um, and within our generation, in our moment of now, uh, there's a lot of news that have yet to be discovered, but the level, the level that they can reach based off of the business knowledge, acumen, or understanding of hype, the hyphen, right? Like having that hyphen in your, in your name or attached to your talent. Like you do this, 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 and this, you don't have to do just one thing. That's what you're an example of. That's what you're talking about doing. Yeah. I mean, I wish I had a choice. Um, but I have to express, you know, I have yeah, to, yeah. uh, share and I, I love people, but I also find people, uh, quite annoying. Um, and so, uh, <laughs> the human experience is like a really interesting thing to, to be living. And so I feel like I, I, I have so many things that I want to share. I'm just so grateful that there are avenues for me to be able to share them. And so I handle them with that kind of reverence. I come into the studio and I'm like, damn, I got like this this microphone here. I got like all this opportunity here to create something. And I, and I feel like at the core of all of us, there's a creator. And so we all want to be creative in our specific fields and the things that we do. And this just happened to be the calling for me. And so I, I just feel very grateful for it. And so then I can use the tools that God has given me in order to continue to express more. So it really, truly is a gift. And and I, I, I've always felt the same way I felt in that car, which is that my success largely comes from my 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 being able to engage with with my expression in my art. I really get a lot of edification from being able to create something and then look at that and be like, wow, you know, I did that before I was making like movies with, you know, big budgets and stuff. I had my own camera. I set it up making my mm -hmm. little movie. They, you know, they, now they look crazy, but that same spirit that was in me remains, which is just create and, and have fun mm -hmm. doing it. The difference is now I've been able to meet with my maturation, with my artistry to create something that people can benefit from, but that can also be sustainable in the business. And so I think like now it's, it's beautiful, you know, coming around to incorporating all of those sides of, of things. And so the hard work provides you an opportunity to continue to grow and incorporate. And so that's what I'm really excited about doing now, moving into producing, moving into directing. You know, now I want to help facilitate, you know, other people's ideas and their passion and expand on mine at the same time. Because it's like you're only limited by the ceiling you give yourself. Sky is not the limit. I don't know who said that, but there really is no limit. You don't you only mm -hmm. place the limit on yourself. I'm not going to put no limits on myself and I'm damn sure I'm not going to let nobody else limit me. So if I can go, I'm going to go. 
And as long as I can, we're going to keep going, you know, until the wheels fall off. And I think that's the beauty of life. Let's keep dancing until we can't dance no more. I know, you know, I, I just turned 32. Like, you know, the knees is... You, you 32? To, yeah. God. You start to 44. feel... You know, I'm 44. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, wow. I didn't yes. even realize that. I'm you definitely 44. Don't Man. Your energy. Not to say that that's old, but you actually give like a real sprightly youthful, energy. Youthful energy. Yeah. 32, so, man. God yeah, bless you. Yeah. So let's just keep going, man. Let's just keep let's keep creating things. Like it's it's a passion. I love it. I like I like that you said directing too, because that's something that I can definitely see. I can I can see you from this conversation that we've been having. I can definitely see you behind the lens. Um, I can definitely see you just on that creative side. And by the way, I mean you talking about music. That's the writing. That's the that's that creative. The pen to the pad, getting in the booth, bringing your words out, putting the character, voice, uh, all all of it. All of that stuff goes into uh, the strong side of creativity. But when you come and now we go back into that space of cinematography, as you were talking about, and then how in depth you. We're talking about the characters, how you break that down. I can see you as a director talking to your cast and pulling out the things that you feel that they can do, should do, haven't done, things that would make the scenes better. I can 1000% see that being a reality. I'm gonna say, let's get away from the business. And and now I just want to talk about like, you know, in, in the life of general, you talked to me about the music. So I would assume that that's another hobby, but a hobby that you now are, are taking you're taking more serious because it's now getting into the other career space. You're talking about dropping an album. So what else does Lakeith do to like basically settle himself? What else is a, is a moment of calm for you or presents calm for you outside of the business and work? Oh man, absolutely. It's uh, my family and uh, you know, uh, having moments of tranquility, you know, it gets real loud in the city and you know, I, I got a place like right outside the city and I got a bunch of trees and, you know, I, I, I like to just sit in my backyard and just one, be appreciative of the fact that I'm able to look at all of these trees and I, and I, and I, I own them. You know, that's not mm -hmm. something that I ever thought was a possibility when I was younger. Um, I didn't think it was an impossibility, but I didn't consider it. And here I am in this dream, having manifest this and it's something really quite beautiful but only as beautiful as I'm allowed to share it. And so being able to share that with my family, I mean, that's a real grounding point for me. And, and being able to have that silence and that calm is very important. Um, you know, I, I work so hard and so consistently that I sometimes do forget to make space to check in with my inner spirit, my soul, my my me, you know, like, I, and, and my job is so much about putting on faces and, you know, sitting up and down and out, blah, blah, blah. Sometimes you forget about the you inside and you got to take a second to stop and just really appreciate the small things. My children have allowed me to do that, to see things again for the first time through their eyes. And it's like, you know, I, I hold them, I look in their eyes and I'm crying because I'm, I'm happy, but I'm also like, wow, you're going to, the fact that you're going to have to feel pain also pains me, but it's the balance mm. and polarity life. And so being able to recharge really gives me a, a sense of groundedness to have focus to continue to move forward. And I have to constantly remind myself to give myself space to do that, because otherwise my ambitions get in the forefront. And I think about me later until I'm exhausted and I'm burnt out. And now my body's telling me you need to sit down. So, you know, 
I've just been really trying to balance that, you know, outside of work and, and you know, uh, find senses of calm and, 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 and re- reasons to appreciate and be grateful for the things around me and deal with those internal challenges, those things that I haven't really checked yet. Getting with a therapist, you know, it's very important, you know, staying consistent with your therapy and walking and talking through those things, which therapy is also a very beautiful gift that not everybody can have, you know. What is it that made you decide to to go in the direction of therapy? Like, what was it where you said, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to give this uh, I'm going to give this a go and and, you know, put this put this thing um in my world of regular now, I, I want somebody to talk to or to be able to offload on. What is it that made you get to that decision? I think I started to realize at some point that I desired to feel peace, but that I didn't feel it. And I thought that if you desired to feel it, you would feel it. It's mm-hmm. not that hard. If you want to feel it, you should be feeling it. I realized that that wasn't the case, but I couldn't put my finger on what it was that was causing me to feel unhappy. So I figured that I needed to I needed to change something in my approach. A lot of my approach was always just to internalize your pain, internalize your issues and try to work through it and figure it out yourself. Ain't nobody going to be there to help you. You got to figure it out. And I realized at some point that that I needed to change that. So I said, all right, I don't think that this is going to work, but I'm going to try it. I'm going to mm-hmm. try this therapy thing within my family. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of families, they view therapy as a as a weakness or something that you shouldn't do or something. You know, why are you up here talking to somebody else about your problem? You got you know, that was my philosophy growing up. And then so I decided to try to do something new. I said, I can do all this other exploration, but I'm not going to explore something different within myself to see if it might help. So I did that. I did my first therapy session. And I went into it being like, you know, I'm going to breeze through this. They're going to be talking about some stuff. I already know what's going on. I left it in tears. From what I realized about myself that was blossoming out that I didn't know was lying dormant in me, just from questions, just from simple questions that were asked to me that caused me to think about myself in a different way. And it brought me to tears of like, damn, there was so much in there that I wasn't addressing that I didn't even know I had to address. I didn't even know because of a lack of perspective that there was even an option of exploring these things until I had someone else mm-hmm. sit across from me and mirror me. And that's all they did, mirror me. I sat like mm-hmm. this, they sat like this. You know, I'm like, what you, what you doing? So I change up my thing, they change up they thing. I'm like, this is uncomfortable, why the hell are you? And then I start, you know, but then I start realizing with the more mirror that was happening, the things that I was uncomfortable with seeing. And then I was like, so why are those things there? And then there goes the questions. And then how do you, excavate and do something better. So therapy has been immensely helpful in me to gain a larger perspective. And so mm-hmm. I think everybody should, I think therapy should be like free for everybody, mandatory, somebody to talk to. And if you have the opportunity to engage in some sort of therapy, you must, even if you think nothing's wrong, because your perspective is limited by your experience. But if you're able to expand that a little bit and gather tools to continue to expand it, it might be expanded in a way where you are able to usurp to to address problems before they even get there and eliminate some of the problems that persist in you because of your scope. Scope is important. Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah, it's been great. I, I man, Lakeith, I'm blown away by uh, just your your overall your overall cadence. You know what I mean? You come off as a very poised, 
poised individual. You know, there's a there's a lot of life that's been lived in there. And you telling me you're 32 is crazy. It's nuts that you're 32. Um, speaking the way that you're speaking. Like there's there's without even knowing how much, but I can tell there's a lot of growth and a lot of, you know, a lot of peaks, hills, and valleys that you have went through and that you've overcome. Um, ultimately to have the level of conversation that you're having now. And these are the things that I think, you know, as black men, we need to hear more of. You know, we need to hear people talk about the beauty of therapy and, you know, the work that it can per basically it the work that it is and more importantly um the space that it can provide and just understanding right that that self-help that self-heal um that self-education is needed is necessary and to those that have partaken they see a tremendous amount of value and for me in this conversation man there's a tremendous amount of value that i'm getting just by listening you know listening to you and listening to what you're saying and the reason of why you're saying it and, you know, how you just make sure that you are present. It seems that you're extremely conscious and aware within the moments that you pick and choose to put yourself in. And I think that's dope as fuck, you know, and from a person on the outside that's not doing that uh, at all times, that's not as conscious or aware as I possibly should be in certain moments, because to your point earlier, moving so fast and it's go, go, go. I got to get it, got to get it. Um, you know, slowing down sometimes and taking those powerful blinks and resets are extremely important. And this conversation has provided me with a level of like, okay, Kev, this conversation happened for a reason. You know, you talked to Lakeith for a reason. And what was gold mines and a great episode for this pod, it's more than that. It's like a moment for me to be like, okay, let me, let me let me figure out my version of calm. You know what I mean? Like let me let me figure out my uh my version of reset and more importantly, my question of why. You know, the older you get is when those questions start to make more sense. Absolutely. And that's what the that's what this just did. <laughs> a yeah, thousand percent. Man, I mean, I'm so glad that I could provide something in a conversation that feels useful to you because I mean, you're immensely intelligent. I mean, there's no way that you can be as funny as you are without that. And there's no way that you, you know, the, the reason why some people are so, because life is really, it's funny as hell. It's like this whole thing. And this is another thing that my, that my kids have provided with me, just reminding me how funny everything is, how the things that I take so serious and sacred, they're like, but you got spaghetti on your nose and just reminding me that like, you know, it's like you think that all of this is so serious, but there's some element to it that is to be laughed at. There's something mm -hmm. there. And I think that is really important, too. And, 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 and having people like you in the world, I think it's really important, man, to like remind us of who we are, remind us that everything ain't that damn serious and remind us to just laugh and have fun. It's very important. Life is short. And so I have benefited immensely from the things that you have put into the world. So I feel like it's Thank a you, great exchange. Yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, I feel like, bro, what would we be if we wasn't laughing? If we didn't have people who, one, had the courageousness to stand up on a stage and talk to a whole bunch of people about a thing, about a series of things that came out of your mind. It's not an easy thing to do. And it's a beautiful thing. To do. And, I, and I think for black men as well. 
that's why I, I mean, you hit it on the head. That's why I, I made a mention of it earlier. Like, you know, for us, for our, for our, for us as black men, hearing these things, um, having the stage to say these things on, and more importantly, to see you be supported in real time is extremely beneficial. Is needed. Is necessary. Um, and this conversation was exactly that. And the Keith, I can't thank you enough. You know, um, brother, I gotta, I gotta get to you in person. I gotta meet yeah. you in person, and you know, I gotta figure out what it is that we can do, and you know, what value we can put into, you know, this alignment, right? And tackling everything that we talked about today. How do we find a project that really taps into all the things that we discussed that makes us check those boxes and feel like it's, it's something to, like, to, to say, oh my God, this is so appetizing, but at the same time, it's so meaningful. It's so impactful. And I'm putting this in the air. Brother, we will work together. And when we do, it will be fucking phenomenal. Uh, but until that happens, I'm going to hold on to this moment today. Because this acts as my first real conversation with you, man. And this one is one that damn sure, it, it, it damn sure had an impact. I'll say that for sure. Only I hope my you, listeners. Oh, <laughs> Only my for you. Because I, I would have been on there like, yeah, absolutely. A great time. But with you, we got real. It got real. Yeah. Yeah. We got a real conversation. I hope my listeners walk away and understand that this is gold mines. And I told you it's all about the gems that you receive. And today's show is no different. Lots were dropped. God damn it. This is Lakeith Stanfield. And you got a better understanding of who this man is and why he is where he is from today. It's not about the now. Sometimes it's about the story before. His story is an amazing one. I hope you guys get to find out more. I know I'm curious as hell. Lakeith, you dope as fuck. I appreciate you, man. Thank you. Appreciate you so much. Peace to the black gods. Gold Mines with Kevin Hart is a serious XM and Laugh Out Loud radio production. Executive produced by Kevin Hart, Ty Randolph, Mike Stein, Brian Smiley, Eric Eddings, and Eric Wyel. Produced by Danny Sellers and Leslie Guam. And engineered by Danny Sellers. Hi, it's Stephen Colbert, and I'm here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with me, Stephen Colbert, and I'm here with my uh, producer of the podcast, Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. So what do people get when they listen to The Late Show Pod Show? Let's, let's sell this thing. The extended moments, for sure, because we run out of time for broadcast, but we have plenty of time on the podcast. It's kind of like being a live audience member of the show because you get things that no one else hears. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... I got the charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed.